so thinking about all of the systems and bureaucracy that's at play, again, it goes into the, we want to do so much, and yet there are all these places and all these systems and all these barricades that stop us from doing the work, even in, in, in organizations that say, we're all about equity, we're all about social justice. Okay, are you? Or is that just, you know, something fancy that we have on our website? Welcome to Begin As You Mean To Go On. If you're a woman of color with a mission-driven service-based business and you want to increase your income and your impact without burning out in the process, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Karanda Adair, recovering WordPress developer, content marketing coach, and CEO of Carvel Digital. I've survived being a black woman in the tech industry, getting fired for culture fit, and gone on to build a thriving business. I want to show you how to work hard once to create systems in your business that continue to work for you as you grow so that you can not just survive, but thrive and live your best life. Let's get it going. Hey, friends. Welcome back to Begin As You Mean To Go On. Always good to be back in your ears and appreciate your time and your attention. Today, I have a really lovely chat to share with you with Dr. Lena Bakshi from STEM For Real. STEM For Real works to make sure our education systems have the tools they need to weave diversity, equity, and inclusion into the fabric of STEM education. Definitely share this one with the teachers and the administrators in your life. Lena and I started working together about five months ago, and we've had the pleasure of working to align all of their business technology to support their business goals. And there's some really great nuggets in our talk today about getting started, even when you don't know all the steps to reach your goal, um, about the dangers of either or thinking, and about how listening to the advice that you give your own clients can help you reflect on your own business and what the best practices are that you should be following. So before we get into it, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, go ahead and just enjoy the episode, listen to the end of the episode, and then I will issue an invitation at the end for you to share this, for you to subscribe, and for you to leave a five-star rating and review and really help us get the word out to other business owners so we can help them avoid some of these really common mistakes that folks are making in their marketing and their technology. If you are a subscriber, thank you so much. And if you haven't left your five-star rating and review yet, what are you waiting for? Go ahead. Today is a great day to do that. All right, let's jump into the episode. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. Hey, Lena. How's it going? It is going great, Kronda. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. I'm so excited you could be here. And this topic is very dear to my heart because, you know, I'm a recovered, I used to say recovering, now I say recovered WordPress developers. So like I was in the tech world for, you know, a good five, six years, and it's a shit show there. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to talk to you and find out like how we make STEM more equitable, more diverse. But first, before we get into that, just introduce yourselves to folks and tell us like, what are your intersectional identities? And yeah. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Lena Bakshi. I identify as a cis woman of color, and I am Asian Indian American. Of course, about me, I started and founded STEM for Real, which is a professional learning nonprofit organization that is dedicated to looking at STEM education. And when we say STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, looking at STEM education through a lens of social justice. 
And so hearing you speak about being a recovered Black female in tech, it's it really just underscores our why as to why we are doing this work and why we need to really look at our pipeline as to how we can create more of a runway for our students of color and people of color to go in and say, wow, this is a place for me. And I see myself, I have an identity in the world of STEM. Yeah. So important. Cause I, I'm trying to think, did I have anybody and no, there was no one like I, you know, my origin story is I was, I was working as a project manager and I had a meeting with like a white dude developer. And for some reason I just, when he left, I was like, Oh, I can do that. But there was no visible sign that I should be doing that. So super important. So I love your origin story. So tell us like one, how long, how long has your company been around and tell us like, what were the beginnings of it? Cause I love, I love that story. I always say that our company is now a toddler and, and it's true because I feel like, you know, in terms of what a toddler is, there's so much curiosity, there's so much energy, and there's so many things a toddler wants to do. And yet we just learned how to walk. (laughs) We're just figuring out our footsteps in the world. And, and I feel like for us, that again, it goes back to our why and why we wanted to do this work. I've always been in education. I was a teacher and an instructional coach. And then I went on to be an administrator at the county and state levels. And so thinking about all of the systems and bureaucracy that's at play, again, it goes into the, we want to do so much And yet there are all these places and all these systems and all these barricades that stop us from doing the work, even in in, in organizations that say, we're all about equity, we're all about social justice. Okay, are you? Or is that just, you know, something fancy that we have on our website? So didn't, didn't this start with the children's book? Exactly. So when I was at the county office and I was actually presenting and and doing a lot of work in terms of professional learning already, and that's when I saw when we were talking about looking at science, looking at STEM, and teaching what we teach our students, I was going through the curriculum. And it's, you know, the usual, Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, like, you know, the usual, then you keep going, like, old white male, old white male. And there's no place for the the work of our Black scientists, our scientists of color, our female scientists that are actually doing the work in modern day, in real life. And so I thought, wow, in fact, I always think about my own professor, and that was Professor Tyrone Hayes from UC Berkeley. And I remember a quote where he said, why don't we have a cure for sickle cell anemia? Well, where are our Black research scientists? Why don't we have, you know, a male birth control? Well, where are our female research scientists? And you, and he was asking me these questions, you know. And mind you, I also think about my professor. He was my first black teacher ever in my in my education like ever ever oh my god so i had to wait 15 years to see a black man in stem yeah too long too long (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so you're like, okay, let me just take the first step on changing this and literally put some visibility out there in the form of this children's book. Exactly. So we dedicated our children's book to him, to Dr. Tyrone Hayes. And I said, you know, more people need to see you and they don't, they, they shouldn't wait 15 years. They should see you now. And so we created a children's book at the kindergarten grade level. And, you know, I just started writing. I've never written a children's book. I've never written a book. So I thought, okay, let me just, you know, put it in writing And another thing that we found was elementary teachers, they were not teaching science for a variety of reasons, whether it was a lack of knowledge, a lack of motivation, or being literally told not to teach science because we need to focus on reading instead. So that of all those reasons, we decided to create this children's book like, okay, well, what if we create a reading book about science and about a black man in STEM? There you go. Problem solved. You can read about so many things. So what was the reception? And first of all, I love that you're like, well, I've never done this, but let me just go get her done. I love that. And kudos. There are so many perfectionists in, I think, the business space, especially like the online business space that I love that you were just like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to take step one, two, and three and we'll figure it out. So did you have to find an illustrator and like all that good stuff? You know, all all of the above. I it's it really was about the universe guiding me. And and I know that sounds so woo-woo, especially being a scientist. And I was like, all right, I wanna I don't I think those are mutually exclusive book. though. I'm learning now. It's really not. No, it's totally not. So what was the reception then once you actually had the book and started getting it out there? Well, I started with writing it and then that led me to, you know, someone that designs covers and I thought, okay, well now I need an illustrator because we can't have, you know, a kindergarten book without pictures. And I found this black illustrator. And for me, it's about the amplification of our black voices and being able to say, all right, I'm going to tell a story, but I want to make sure that I am telling the story through the voices that we want to hear from. So that was exciting for me that, you know, that led me to that. And then we just started with writing and drawing and putting it together. And when we finally published it, so many people were excited. That led me to realize there's a whole world out there on marketing and messaging and social media. Like you can't just do something and just hope that it just takes off magically. Yeah. And, but I think it's good that we don't, you know, you weren't necessarily thinking about all that, like ignorance is bliss maybe, or ignorance is, is like this cushion that, that keeps you moving forward. Because probably if you thought or known about all that in the beginning, I think that's why people get overwhelmed is like, they know too much. They're like trying to think 15 steps down the path. And it's like, but you don't have a product. So why don't you go get a product? So you have this product and then you had to step into the world of, oh, okay, now I'm maybe not a business yet, but you've got this thing and need to market it. So how did you start learning about that? As I started learning more about messaging, more about creating a movement, I thought, oh, wow, we need to do more than a children's book. This actually has to get into the hands of our teachers, into the hands of our educators. And so then I thought, well, how do we go just beyond a book? It's not just about reading this book and say, okay, we're done. How do we actually create instruction that is meaningful and relevant and provides an identity for our students? And again, making the 
in making the instruction, making STEM for real. And that's where I thought, well, how do we get real life people of color in the classrooms and in the curriculum? That's where our name came from, STEM for Real. It was born because we wanted to make these real life experiences for real. So you see that need. And what I want to call out for people who are listening, like for for the entrepreneurs who are listening, is it didn't start with this grand vision of like, I'm going to change, you know, the face of STEM or I'm going to change how STEM is taught. It started with, okay, what's the one thing that I can do right now, you know, whether or not you've done it before. And then sort of each step is sort of leading you to the next step. And you're really, to me, it sounds like you're just like answering the call of whatever the next step is. So what's the timeline on this? When did you release the book? And then when did you realize, oh, okay, this needs to be a business? It was actually around the same time where I decided, okay, if I do I want this to be this side project, side hustle, or do I actually want to take matters into my own hands and take on social injustice in education? Do I want to take it on my way? And I really had to make that tough decision of whether to say, all right, we're going to do this together as an independent nonprofit, or are we going to do this under, like, through the system, uh, through the bureaucratic systems that is our school system? And so when, when faced with that decision, again, ignorance was a very nice cushion because I said, yeah, I'm going to go in and we're going to start a nonprofit and this is our calling. And then, of course, learning about the journey and again, beginning as we mean to go on. So how long ago was that that you kind of said, OK, this is a nonprofit and we're, we're doing this? So this was three years ago, and when we and we took that plunge, that's when we had just published our children's book, and we thought, okay, let's start with professional learning. And as we started, we were really learning and listening to our teachers, listening to our our administrators, and we're hearing equity, we're hearing social justice, and we're seeing how can we put the two together. And that's where we created the why behind our instruction, being able to learn about standards, learn about curriculum, and also looking at the standards for social justice, teaching with a social justice lens, teaching with an anti-racist lens to ensure that we're addressing how we can teach the whole child. And that's something that we really wanted to create into our vision. Yeah, I love that because I, I'm sure we've both had and many people listening will have had the, the experience of sort of partitioning yourself off to go to work. And we don't want that to start in elementary school, right? We don't want to be training kids of color that, oh, you just have to be, you know, the version of yourself that is palatable (laughs) to the dominant culture. We want to integrate that. And I love that you're on right now because we just had Trudy LeBrun on the podcast and she's doing, you know, DEI in the entrepreneurial space and for coaches and things like that. And she said a lot of the same things. It's like, this is not a box that you get to check off and say like, oh, okay, I hired a person of color, you know, and now I'm done. Or I put a black square on Instagram and now I'm done. It's like, if you really want to commit to this work, it has to be woven through the fabric of everything that you're doing. And so that's, that's really what you're teaching educators and administrators how to do with curriculum. 
We've talked about the why. Let's talk about the what. Like what what are the vehicles? You've got like three different sort of programs that you focus on to do this work. So, you know, if if I'm a teacher, if I'm an administrator, like what are the options to get your help and how does that what does that look like? So one thing we found is that we do need our leaders. Those leaders are the leaders that are going to be our ambassadors and truly change from within. And so we started a program called Leadership for Justice looking at implicit biases, looking at racism head on, and looking at systems that act as gatekeepers within the school system. Like for example, at the fifth grade level, first, students aren't getting science instruction every day. Again, for a variety of reasons, because they want to focus on math and ELA, and we're not getting that access to science instruction. So at fifth grade, maybe when they're going on to sixth grade, Teachers are making recommendations on whether to submit to recommend a student for honors science. Well, how can you make that recommendation? On what data are you making that recommendation? So we're finding that there is all this data on behavior. They're making it on whether a student was nice and quiet in the classroom. Oh, yes, they'd be a great honors science student. And of course, you're looking at all of the behavior systems and how Black children are treated in our school systems. So then you look at, well, how many students are getting kicked out of the classroom? And that is where, you know, people ask us, well, why are you talking about behavior? You're a STEM agency. Why are you focused on on behavior and parent communication and families, it's all related. It's all this big system. And we as leaders have to look at those systems. Yeah. And it's so scary to me that why, why aren't we giving kids science earlier? And, you know, and I think about this now, I'm like, we're in a pandemic. Like I just got my vaccination, you know, last weekend. And I'm like, without scientists, like we're all just dead of the plague. So (laughs) we need to be growing the next generation. Absolutely. And our Black children, our young Black girls need to know that that was a Black woman that spearheaded the research for the vaccine, Dr. Kizzy. She was, you know, we we want to be able to show our young Black girls, yeah, this is a place for you for science. This is not just a place for for white males. And in fact, I got, I was going through, it's always down in the DMs, you know, I was going through my DMs and I said, you know, hey, this is our, our program. We'd love to learn more about what you do and support your instruction. And I get a response, of course, from a white male that says, I teach STEM to, I teach STEM and I teach STEM to my daughter and I don't do it with a social justice lens. And I guarantee you that doing it with your social justice lens will have the opposite effect. I was like, Ooh, okay. And, and I had time that day and I thought, you know what? We really need to have these conversations. I, I had to go on live. I had to write a post. Here's what I'm seeing. We see this horrible case of George Floyd. We see the horrible instances of the anti the violence against our Asian Americans. So we, we have to wait for these horrible and heinous acts of society to happen. And then an agency says, let's put out a statement. Let's put out a statement on how Black Lives Matter and how, you know, we are, stand with our Asian Americans. And then we dig deeper it's an all-white board. It's an all-white staff. And 
there is saying the same thing of, all right, today we're going to talk about da-da-da-da-da. Oh, but we put in our statement, so we don't need to address equity again. Maybe until the next societal infraction. Right? Yeah, total bullshit. Okay, so one of the things that I know is that when you are committed to equity and diversity and inclusion, especially as white people, like that can get lonely. That can be like really hard work to sort of find your community of other folks. And so talk about the options that you have for folks who really want to be in community doing this work. Absolutely. And that leads us to our our other program, which is actually our main program, and that is our STEM for Real network. And it really is this comprehensive network of educators that are not just doing the work once, we're doing the work together as a team in community. So we have monthly, we have a monthly series of speakers. We call them unspeakers because we get right into our lesson plans and our instructional sequences to look at how we can revolutionize our STEM instruction and really look at our emergent bilinguals and seeing how we're addressing language learners and how we're addressing students with special needs. So we bring in these experts. We have our team, we provide those monthly workshops, but it's, we can't just look at it once a month, right? So we want to have this ongoing community that we're building. So we've got weekly sessions, we throw in the dance parties and build this, this movement, essentially, right? <laughs> nice. Because, you know, we have to, we, it's difficult work and for us, we don't want to be this silo. We don't, we don't want to have that one teacher saying, oh, you're the equity teacher, No, this is a collective effort that we want to be part of. And you have options for teachers to join, but you also like administrators and school districts can actually join and then put a group of their teachers in, right? So that you, you know, you're not just like, oh, I'm the lone teacher that cares about this in my, you know, in my school or my district. Like you can go up the chain to your administrator and say, hey, I think we need to be doing this. Talk about leadership, right? Like it it has to come from top down. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to, but when it does come from top down, that's when you see the most progress. So I definitely want to highlight that. So, you know, folks who are listening to this, you know, if they are teachers and you're thinking like, oh, how can I, you know, how can I get my administrator on board? Like, we'll put those links in the show notes, you know, because you have an actual letter, right? That you wrote mm-hmm. for folks that's like, here, you can send this to your administrator and you can put them in touch with us. And then we can get them on board and get like, not just one teacher from a school, but like a group of teachers. So not only is there community within the network, there's community within, you know, within your school and other teachers in the district. So I love that. And then you have one more program, right? You know, for folks who need just like a little more individualized attention. Yes. So everyone that is joining our network, we also um, couple it with our tailor-made professional learning. And that's where we provide intensive workshops directly for each school and district to give them that tailor-made approach because so many schools have so many initiatives And it's really not about like, oh, well, let me just grab this shiny object and add it to our list, or let me grab this ed tech tool and solve equity that way. So we want to, you know, take a comprehensive approach as to what schools are already doing and then envelope our services so that teachers don't feel like, uh, this is another thing, but this is actually part of their system that they can 
implement. So a lot of our services, they really go hand in hand because when we have that tailor-made service, when we address leadership and then we provide it and supplement with our network, we've now created a system that is really taking on social justice and taking on educational equity in a way that is getting at all of the different pillars. And what have been some of the outcomes? Like, what do you you see in terms of teachers and the way that they teach differently? Do you get reports back from like students and how the students are responding to changes in curriculum? Because I can just imagine you mentioned the pipeline earlier in the podcast. And like that, that word for me is almost a trigger word, right? Because as a black woman who was in the tech industry, one of the things I heard so often is, well, you know, it's a pipeline problem. Like we can't hire more, you know, diverse candidates and more people of color because there's not enough in the pipeline. And it's like, for for one, like, yes, we were, ar- we're already there. And for two, you know, when people, when other black women would come to me and like, be like, oh, you're in tech. Like, how do I, how do I do what you did? Honestly, my answer would be like, mm, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to do that? You know, because the industry can be so toxic. So, I I love that we're addressing like, yes, you know, we do want to get more kids in the pipeline, but also, you know, creating these sort of like almost the anti-systems, right? You have the systems of oppression and the systems of white supremacy. So you're like, great, let's go in and put in this other system (laughs) to counteract all of those things so that maybe when these kids grow up and are ready to get jobs in the STEM fields, they won't be quite so toxic. So what kind of response and outcomes and have you seen just from people going through the program? I love that question. And one of the things that I love to do is go through the feedback of all of our sessions, because of course, we want to make sure that we're actually having an impact and we're not just taking up airtime. So what is working and how do we know that it's working? And one thing for sure for me is just seeing the teachers light up. And seeing them say, wow, I didn't know that I could talk about this while talking about science. Like if you're going to talk about, you know, the atmosphere, you can also talk about air pollution. And you can also talk about how our communities of color, our lower socioeconomic communities are getting more and more cycles of air pollution because of how the city has been built and the infrastructure and where that and the detrimental effects of this based on science. And so seeing teachers light up essentially will lead to our students lighting up and getting that motivation to do something and to have an impact. So we we definitely see that for sure. And we also get the other side too, Kronda. I would be, you know, we get the, I just came from a workshop where one leader said, you had us count the people of color. And that was a very uncomfortable exercise to do. And <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry that I made you feel uncomfortable, but I'm not because the equity work is really about looking deep and seeing what systems have led us to this. And you talk about this this word pipeline and we talk about it all the time to say, "Oh, well there just aren't teachers of color." We have an entire system of historically Black colleges and universities that we can tap into. It's about our recruitment efforts and building a space, not just recruiting teachers of color, retaining them, 
you know, not just treating them like the token and saying, what do you think? But actually creating and fostering a community. Yeah, I feel like you and Trudy almost have this, this kismet, you know, you know, because she did a lot of work in schools and education before she focused on coaches. And so it's almost like, okay, yeah, you got to do this work. And then we also have to create the system so that we're recruiting teachers of color, right? So kids can literally see themselves, but we're not making it a toxic environment for them. And that's, I mean, it's so important. (laughs) So kudos. Earlier you said, you know, I was asking like, how long have you been doing this work? And first you said, oh, my business feels like a toddler. And then you said it's literally three years old. So literally, literally, you know, you're like, they're getting through toddlerhood, heading towards the, uh, the awkward teen phase, right, eventually. And you and I have been working together for four, four months or so. So can we talk a little bit about like the business side? Because one of the things I see happen to service providers is that, you know, you start, you do start your business because you have this why and this passion and you want to solve a problem or an injustice or fix something. And then you run up against that like, oh, yeah, I have to build a business. So can you just talk a little bit about what have been some of the challenges for you that and things, things you wish you would have known? You know, I'm always trying to save other business owners from sort of like, you know, steer them around the potholes. So what are your thoughts on like things you wish you'd known or done differently? You know, it's so funny. I'm hearing myself speak about schools that have too many initiatives and too many things are, they're always trying to say, oh, well, we need an ed tech program and we need an initiative on this and that. And, and I'm always saying like, no, like, let's, let's go back to the basics of what's the why behind your instruction and how do you want to engage with your students? And now I'm listening to myself and I want to cringe <laughs> Because that's exactly how I started the business. I was like, I need this and I need that. And, you know, because I had no idea. I just had, you know, a, a vision. And all right, what do I do next? And looking back, I thought, wow, I really just needed to keep it simple and just figure out how I, need, how I could message my, our message, messaging our message. Yeah, because when you came to me, you were working with, you know, like, lots of different people, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, we need this. And then I'd be like, okay, let's start. And then you're like, oh, we already have that. I think there's two types of business owners, right? If we want to be reductionist about this, there's the ones that are like, let me DIY myself into the ground for five years. And then there's the ones who are like, no, I don't know how to do this. Let me hire all the people, right? So you're definitely in the B camp of like hiring all the people, which is great because, you know, in some sense you will grow faster if you get help sooner. But then there's also the, you know, not knowing what you don't know. And so can you talk about just some of the, some of the hindsight that you have from going down this other route? Cause I think most, I think a lot of my audience is in the, is in the DIY camp, but there's probably a subset that's like, They've got, they've got the money, right? They've got maybe more money than time. There can also be perils to that. So just talk about some of the things you've learned from going down that road. You know, I think for us, it was simply about keeping it simple. And what I learned was, again, I was looking at all the shiny objects of, we need this and we need that. And how do people know about us? How can we get our, our ideas known? And I looked back at what what has been working 
And we just tell them, we just tell them, that's it. That's it. You know, we just say, this is what we're doing. This is the result. This, these are our testimonials. This is what's working. And let's have a conversation. So going, and then same thing about, you know, oh, we need a public relations person and we need a this person and a that person. And really, we don't, and we're still learning. We're still learning about what's working, what's not working. And, and again, figuring out how to get our message out there. And to be honest, a lot of what we did, I think it stems from the fact that we are an agency that's built on women of color, immigrants, really, that, you know, living that immigrant journey of saying, okay, how do we make ourselves look like we are credible? Because we are. And when I think about that, I think, well, how do I how do I compete with organizations that have all the things and led by white males that are immediately trusted? How do I show that we can be that too and then some and actually do it? So, yeah, we're getting into the twice as much work, right? Work twice as hard territory. I think that's so real that we feel like we have to look legit, right? We have to spend time and energy and money on like trappings to try to get the trust that probably, you know, white men and women would get just for showing up. And that's, that is super real. And what I hear you saying though, is that when you look back at all the things that worked, it was showing up, being authentic, talking about your offer, talking about the problems you solve, and then telling people how they can get involved. Just like that. Just like that. I feel like most of my job as a coach is just hurting, hurting all my little kittens back to those basics. And, I, and, you know, you might feel like cringy when you think about, oh, I keep telling these, you know, these administrators and these teachers, like, keep it simple. And then you look at your own business. I think everybody does that. We all do that. We all are like, you know, well, one of my clients a long time ago told me the phrase, you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. And I think that's just true of everybody. And like one of the joys for me of teaching this stuff is that it keeps me grounded in like, oh yeah, I also need to take my own advice. So I love that. I want to flip back and talk to the teachers who may be listening to this, the administrators who may be listening to this, who kind of are interested to dip their toe into these waters, right? They're, they're kind of have the nagging voice that's like, oh, okay, I know this is a thing. I know I could be doing better. What do you think of some common mistakes that people make that people can sort of, you know, become a little bit more self-aware of like things not to do in the classroom or things not to do inside your, your education system? Let's, let's start with that. I think the first thing that I always tell teachers is to take a moment to look at the news, what's happening, and not just, you know, the headlines, but actually look at what's happening in science, what's happening in STEM, what's hap what are some technology breakthroughs that are happening, and, you know, something that can be explained with math or statistics in a way that can relate to our students. And I think that trying to establish that connection creates this idea of relevance and making the instruction real for our students. And and again, keeping it, keeping it that simple where you're actually just taking a moment to go outside and see what can what are our students experiencing and how can we bring that in. 
And then the second thing is to, it's not about teaching the what, it's about teaching the who. That actually came up in one of our interviews. And who are our students? What about them? Like, how do we know? What are their passions? What are their ideas? And how can we cultivate that? Because so much of the time that we collect data, it's what's their math score? What's their reading level? What's their Lexile level? And it's like, no, what? Who are our students? And then the third thing I would say is as we're thinking about who we are as teachers, where are our where are we teaching and what are the systems that are, that are at play? So when we're looking at behavior, who are we kicking out of the classroom? And if we're recommending people for a class, are we looking at their math levels? Are we what what gates are up that are keeping students away from courses in STEM and and whatnot? So looking at all of those gates and asking yourself, why did I say yes to this student and no to this student for a STEM program or for a gifted and talented program? Awesome. All right. So this is I always like to wrap up with a a podcast theme question. So you know, one of the things that I've heard you talk about, and one of the things that I think happens a lot in just white supremacy culture is this very either or thing, right? We can teach science or we can teach reading. And it's like, no, you can read about science, you know? So for folks who are indoctrinated in those systems of thinking like either or terms, how, how can they begin as they mean to go on when it comes to, you know, really incorporating Uh, more holistic approaches, I guess. Well, in science, we always talk about phenomenon-based instruction. And a phenomenon is that, that tangible visual tool that you can look at and say, huh, where does lightning come from? Or why does, you know, why, why do leaves fall in the winter? Or, you know, something that you can observe and visualize. So we ask our teachers, what next step can you can you use to ensure that that phenomenon is actually culturally responsive and relevant to our students and so when i go to pd when i go to professional development sometimes the phenomenon i i came across was let's look at the rain shadow and that's great but who, who how do our students what about the students that are not around mountains and don't have those experiences what is an experience that they can, you know, latch onto? And so an example we always talk about is the Flint, Michigan water crisis. How can we learn about the water cycle and then take it to a, another level and say, okay, this is evaporation and condensation. Well, now let's look at a system where the water can be contaminated. And now we're looking at water scarcity. And now we're looking at systems of survival and inequity in within, you know, an ecosystem, essentially. And so that's the the way we look at it is taking our students on a journey where the science and math that they're going to learn is going to solve a problem in society and have a hook for our students. Awesome. And you actually have a climate change lesson plan resource, right, that folks can get. So we'll link to that in the show notes, too. Awesome. Anything else that you want to get out there that I didn't ask you that you really want people to know before we before we wrap it up? 
I think for me, this has been such a fun conversation and seeing the parallels with education and business and thinking about representation in general is like, you know, I'm so proud that, yeah, there is a Black woman building our website and being able to to say like, no, there there has to be diversity in STEM. And it's not just checking a box. It's actually fostering a community to where this is the norm. And is it, it isn't just fueled by, oh, we need to do it, but actually we want to do it. And we want to create that community. Tell folks where they can go and find out more about STEM for Real and get uh, all the goodies that we've been talking about. Yes, absolutely. We'd love to have you check out our website, stemforreal.org stem number four real.org and we're also all around social media you can check us out on instagram linkedin facebook your social media of choice and and just you know comment and join the join the conversation we'd love to connect awesome thank you so much we'll put all those links in the show notes of course and now's your invitation y'all if you have gotten value from this episode Now's the time when you get to subscribe to the episode, when you get to share the episode, please share this with a teacher or an administrator that you know who cares about this topic or should care about this topic. Please share this episode and also go ahead and open up your app and leave that five-star rating and review to help other business owners avoid some of these potholes and mistakes <laughs> that, that we're hoping for them to get around. Lena, thank you so much for doing this today, taking the time and, and sharing all this awesome stuff with you. I mean, as someone who's, you know, recovering from the tech industry, I really, really appreciate your work and it gives me hope for the future. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Have you been listening to these episodes, having aha moments, but haven't quite gotten around to implementing what you've learned? If that's you, I want to tell you how you can get more support to get you moving and reaching your goals faster. Content Bootcamp is my 12-week business bootcamp where I help you get clarity on the big three pillars of marketing, audience, offer, and messaging. But this is not just another online course. During our time together, we guide you through crafting a strategy that is specific to your business and then taking the actions that are going to bring you the results you want. I asked my clients why they think you should join Content Bootcamp and here's what they had to say. I think as a solo entrepreneur, you need to be in community with other people. It's hard to know where you're supposed to go next in your business if you don't have a trusted guide and mentor. And I think that's what Content Bootcamp has provided for me is not only someone that I can trust to you know, help me build the kind of business I want, but also to be in community with people who are also wanting to you know, grow and evolve in their business as well and not all communities are great communities to be a part of, but this one is. What I'm getting out of Content Bootcamp and the community is really entrepreneurship and business is not that hard. <laughs> it's actually pretty simple. And it's just how can we continue to keep business simple? And when we keep business simple, money happens. To get started, go to carveldigital.com slash bootcamp and tell us about your business. You'll get an invite to our weekly call where you can talk to me live and in person and get all your questions answered to see if Content Bootcamp is right for you. See you soon.